We turn in God's Word this evening then to the book of Nehemiah, the 13th chapter. Nehemiah chapter 13. As we come to the end of this short series on the prayers of Nehemiah, even as we came to the end of the short series on Scripture this morning, Lord willing, uh, next Lord's Day, we'll begin our study of the book of Hebrews and uh, pray that God would bless that study as well over the course of a number of weeks. One thing I should tell you by the time we turn to Nehemiah 13 is Nehemiah has gone back to Persia. If you recall, back when... Uh, he had uh, been downcast in the sight of the king. The king had said what was wrong, and uh, he explained to him about the situation in Jerusalem. But there had also been set a time for Nehemiah's return. Once that wall was rebuilt and worship was established, it appears that that was the time. Nehemiah has actually been gone from the scene from t for 12 years. So for 12 years, he's back in Persia, but he has now returned once again. And so when we turn to the 13th chapter, we could go, wait a minute, how could this be going on with Nehemiah there? He wasn't there. And in the course of those 12 years, several things have fallen apart as chapter 13 will, will make clear. And Nehemiah is seeking to correct those things. So that to set you the context of where we are. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levite singers and gatekeepers, the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked, leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. And I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. 
I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officers, officials, and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and sent them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shemaiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, Pediah of the Levites, and as their assistant Hannah, the son of Zakur, the son of Mataneah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me. O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Iranians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. And I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act this way and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the door should be shut, gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that low load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days also I saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves." Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat the Hornite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Thus far the reading 
of this chapter of God's breathed out word. Let's again bow in prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to gather together, open our scriptures, and read a portion of, of your holy word. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for that privilege, and now we would ask that you be with Pastor Bob as he presents his, his uh, message to us, prepared on Nehemiah 13. And we not only ask for your blessing on him, but your blessing on each one of us. And, and may we, whether we're in this building or at home listening on our computers or televisions, we uh, pray that uh, you will open our hearts and our minds, dear Lord, and that we will take this message in. All this we ask in Christ's name, amen. And amen. So once again, three things from this particular chapter. First of all, Nehemiah's call to remember. Secondly, Nehemiah's reasons to remember. And thirdly, Nehemiah's prayer to remember. So his call, his, the reasons, and then prayer. God doesn't forget. We read it four times in this particular passage. Remember, 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 remember. God doesn't forget. This is not Nehemiah in some way thinking less of God or having some view of God that is shallow, having some view of God in which maybe there's, there's some of the ideas that perhaps he had from Persia about the gods being very human and human-like and had human-like characteristics and therefore, well, maybe it's possible then that if gods have to eat and drink, if gods have to sleep, Maybe then it's possible gods can forget. And so Nehemiah is just taking the culture with which he was raised, the environment in which he was raised, and applying it to God and, and thinking that God in some way is forgetful. I think we would all conclude probably that very quickly that that would just be silly. Obviously, as we have read through and worked our way through the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah has a very high view of God, a very deep understanding of the character of God. And certainly he isn't shorting God in this regard. In fact, the words remember are not a call because of God's forgetfulness. Anything but. In fact, it's a rather biblical statement. It's not just Nehemiah. God himself speaks that he also will remember. Let will take you back. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. Chapter 8. Right? We're, we're, we're at the end of the flood time. Okay? The, the, the rain has stopped. We're, we're at the end of that section. Chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah. Now just stop and think. Do you think that verse is telling us, I forgot and then I remembered? Because remember who the author is, right? God is giving this. God is saying, I remembered Noah. God uses that language himself. 
But that word remember, once again, is not the understanding of forgetfulness. That word remember is a covenant word. There are covenant things going on here. And and that's what we've got to place in our minds. Get rid of the idea, get rid of the notion that when Nehemiah uses this word remember, it's about forgetfulness. It's not forgetfulness. God himself remembered Noah. But even more so, when you go into chapter chapter 9, and we have the sign that is given, right? The sign in the sky. God is speaking. Genesis 9, 15. We'll, we'll go to 14. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. Did God, do you think God ever forgets the covenant that he makes? No, he doesn't forget it. I will remember my covenant. We, we have that in regards to the Hannah. Remember Hannah, the, the mother of Samuel? She, she prays and makes a vow and, and so on. And then the priest tells her that she may go home and, and the Lord will bless her. And then, then we read, and God remembered Hannah. Wait, wait, did he? Forget about what happened there that day? No, it's not a forgetfulness. Over and over and over, the Bible uses this language. Nehemiah is not inventing something here. This isn't like, oh my, what's the matter with Nehemiah? He's using the word remember and he's asking God to remember something. It's a biblical term. It's a covenant term. And so for a a kind of a working understanding, this idea of remember is the idea of to take thought of or to think on me. But it actually goes a little bit further and a little bit deeper. It's the idea of having an absolute trust in the promises that God has made. See, there's a background to it, right? There's the background of the covenant. There's the background of God's promises to his people. Promises that he has come and made over and over and over again. What Nehemiah is simply asking is, God, I trust your promises And I trust that you're going to keep them. I trust that you're going to do that which you have said you will do. It's not a doubt. It's the exact opposite of doubt. It's not Nehemiah questioning if God will do this. It is with absolute certainty that he knows God will. That's why he uses the word remember, because it's God's covenant term. It's that which God uses to speak about his covenant relationship with his people. The absolute certainty of those promises. And who can forget the words of that thief 
upon the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Certainly not words of questioning, certainly not words of doubt, else else we would not hear the response, today you will be with me in paradise. There is something beautiful in Nehemiah's remember prayers. Covenant relationship that God has established with his people. Covenant promises that God makes with us. Now we'll come to the point of application of that in a few moments. But secondly, what are the reasons that we have here in Nehemiah 13 that Nehemiah prays this prayer of remembrance? But let me back up, because I remember when, we were, when I was preaching through this, I, I told you there was a prayer we're going to come back to, right? And that's found in Nehemiah chapter 5, right? So go back to Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to be at verse 14. There are seven times in which Nehemiah prays the word, remember. Five of the, four of those times, it is remember me. That's kind of what we're honing in on here. In Nehemiah chapter 5, we're in the middle of the work, okay? We're on that first tour of duty that Nehemiah has back in Jerusalem. We're in the midst of the work that is going on. People are working hard. We're we're rebuilding the wall. People are sacrificing. People are putting in all sorts of hours and labor. But there's a problem. The problem is a food shortage. Now pick it up with me at verse 14. Moreover, from that time I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowed of the governor. So he took no pay. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work of this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense, note this, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, Six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Now notice what he prays. His prayer is, remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. Now, once again, understand, remember, calling to mind God's covenant relationship with his people 
and with Nehemiah as an individual member of that covenant community. Lord, remember your covenant promises. Remember the promises that I believe and trust in. Remember for my good all that I have done for this people. Now, first thought we probably have when we read Nehemiah's prayer in verse 19 is we go, a little bit arrogant, aren't you? A little bit boastful. No, it is not boastful. It is not arrogant. Listen to the way it flows. Remember for my good, oh my God all that I have done for this people. You notice what isn't there? See, what it doesn't say is this. Remember all the good I have done for these people. He is placing before God that which he has done, and he's asking God as his covenant God to remember him for good. See, he's not placing his work before God as good. He's not saying, I did such a great job. I was the best governor. Man, was I generous. Look at what I did. God, I demand from you that you count this in my favor. No, he's still before his covenant God saying, Lord, remember this for my good. Not out of pride, not out of arrogance, there is a great humility. You notice, Nehemiah never demands this from the people. He isn't standing up in front of the people saying, look at all that I have done for you. I did this and I did that. I did this and I did that. I know the nature of politics these days almost sort of demands that type of of running. But it ought to be nauseating to us. It really ought to. We we ought to be nauseated by it. And I don't care who it is. They did not feed a single person. We did. All the stuff they claim they have done, they didn't do it. Remember a few weeks ago, there was uh, a national politician who said, I have fed the hungry. No, they didn't. What they did is passed a bill that fed the hungry with our money. See, Nehemiah isn't out front going, to the people, look at what I've done, people. Look at the things. Now build me a monument. Put me up on Mount Rushmore. I'm the greatest thing there is since wheat bread. Sliced bread. I believe is the statement. But I don't like white sliced bread, so. But you see, he's before God. God, in your covenant mercies, in your covenant blessings, remember. Remember for my good that which has been done. Let's go to Nehemiah 13. We find here several of these prayers. 
The first one occurs in verse 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. It's Nehemiah praying to God about here. Well, as we look back, what we find out is the fact that in that time period that he was gone, the temple had been profaned. His archenemy, Tobiah, actually now lives in the temple. There's been a side deal on the side. Okay, so, so now we got the foreigner in the temple itself. And, it, and the law was no Ammonite or Moabite. They, they couldn't even go to the temple to worship. This guy, this priest, has allowed Tobiah to live in the temple. Besides that, they've basically abandoned the temple, the house of God. There's no care anymore. There's no concern. Nehemiah not only gets rid of Tobiah's furniture, throws it out on the street, out of here. You don't get to live here. The law says no. But he also restores the care for the Levites. That that tithe went to those Levites so that those Levites could care for the house of God. They could get back to work. You see, the Levites had to move. The Levites had to leave Jerusalem. Why? Because nobody was bringing in their tithe. There were no servants of the Lord ministering there. The place is forsaken. Why? Because nobody's doing their job. What does Nehemiah do? He restores it all. And at the end of that again, Here he is before God. Remember me, O my God, concerning this. And do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. Now you'll note, first of all, he mentions that these are good. Why? Because these are fully in accord with the law of God. He is simply taking God's truth, God's law, and applying it to the circumstance. That's good. When you do that which God wants you to do, it is a good thing. And it's okay to say that. It's okay when we are obedient before the Lord. When we do that which God desires for us to do. To call it a good thing. That's what Nehemiah is doing. He's saying, Lord, I followed the law. I did that. But he's doing it, you see, not to win an award. He's doing it not to earn his salvation. He is doing it because his heart is so committed to the Lord. His heart is so committed to the worship of God. He is passionate that God would be worshipped rightly, according to the word, according to the law. Remember me. What a blessing it is to be a blessing to God's servants. See, once again, things don't happen on accident, do they? Things are never accidental to God. There is always timing. 
was a good thing that you did to acknowledge and appreciate your pastor. That's a good thing. And it's going to sound kind of strange, but it's the right thing to do. It's what you should be doing. But you should be doing it not because somebody declares it Pastor Appreciation Week or month, but because it's the desire of your heart that the servant of God is treated rightly. That ought to, that, that's that passion. That's what Nehemiah has. That's a good thing. That's a good deed. That's a righteous thing. That's an obedient thing. To spurn, okay? And let's just take me out of the picture, but to spurn the servant of the Lord, to spurn the one who works in the house of the Lord, to turn one's back upon that, to not bring in the tithe. It's not a good deed. Why? Because it's not according to the word of the Lord. It's not according to this truth. Nehemiah has done a good deed. And he's asking the covenant God who made the law, who gave the law regarding the Ammonite and the Moabite not being in that house, who made the law regarding the tithe, who made the law regarding the support of the Levites who minister in the house of God. To have obeyed that law to bring to mind, to God, the covenant promises that he has made. It's a perfectly legitimate thing for God's people to do. Thirdly, go with me to chapter 13, 22b. 22b. Remember this. Also, in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Why is he praying this prayer of remembrance? Why is he praying here, remember me? Because what had happened in the time that he was gone, not only did the temple fall apart and the temple worship fall apart, but so did the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day had become a business day. The Sabbath day had become routine. It's a market day. People are coming in. People are going out. And Nehemiah is like, what's going on here? He takes action. He takes steps that the Sabbath day would be observed as a holy day. That work would not be done. That buying and selling would not be done. That products would not be transported here and there in order that they might be sold on the Sabbath day. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. He took action to uphold the Sabbath. Now, as you read through the Old Testament, one of the signs that God continually looked for in Israel and in Judah to see whether or not they were truly his covenant people was if they observed the Sabbath. That's what he looked at. Do you keep my Sabbath day holy? Do you observe it? This is the covenant God 
who enters in a covenant with his people that they would observe a Sabbath. And when they no longer observe the Sabbath, God says then there are curses and judgments that come upon you. When you observe my Sabbath, here are the blessings that come. Nehemiah is simply addressing God as the covenant God and saying, remember that which I have done. In seeking to keep covenant with you. But do you notice the phrase, remember me with favor? Once again, it's not, I've earned something. I deserve something. Lord, you're still the one who needs to be gracious. There is plenty about me that is dishonoring. In fact, a lot of commentators look at this one and and say, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Why? Nehemiah almost is putting himself in this. Why? Could it be that as Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem and he sees that which is going on on the Sabbath, that Nehemiah himself is reminded of how often he in service to the king has worked upon a Sabbath day. And yes, it's something that needs to be corrected. But he realizes that he too is sinful in this. He takes the steps to correct, but yet he comes before God. Remember, for good, out of your favor, out of your grace. Why? Because I too need to be spared. I too see myself in this. Remember me, oh God. We go down to chapter 13, verse 29. Another prayer for God to remember. Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. What's this got to do with? They're intermarrying. They're intermarrying with people they should not have intermarried with. They're intermarrying with unbelievers. They're intermarrying with those and raising their children in unbelief, not according to belief. Perhaps they're giving their children the free right, you can get to choose. And they're choosing to speak the language of Ashdod rather than the language of God. See, they're not being God's covenant people. They're intermixing like what Balaam introduced to them. Nehemiah takes great steps here, doesn't he? Right? The the picture that emerges is quite something, right? Verse 25, I confronted them, cursed them, beat some of them, pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath. Stop it. You're bringing God's judgment down upon us. You notice what isn't in this prayer? Remember me for what I have done. Why? Why? Because I think we'd all agree, verse 25 may be a little over the line. Is it really right for God's people, God's servant, to curse, to beat, pull out the hair of some, force them to take an oath? See, there's no remember me here for the good that I have done. Remember me for the work that I have done. It's Lord, just remember. Remember them. Remember Lord how they have profaned 
your house. Remember how they have profaned their calling. Remember, Lord. Why? Because there's a covenant behind all of this. A covenant of God's promise and God's curses. He's saying, remember that which you have said. But notice how the book ends. It ends in that 31st verse with, remember me, oh my God, for good. It's a plea. It's not a demand. It's not pride. No one needs to remember if it's out of pride and out of arrogance. But when it's out of humility, when it's out of recognition of the fact that that really nothing we can accomplish in this life is holy, free from sin, even the best that we do, we still have to come before God and say, God, in your grace, in your mercy, accept that which I've done. Accept the praise that we bring to you. Because our praise is so great and sinless. But because there is a covenant God behind it who has promised, who has promised that when we are faithful, when we are obedient, he will bless. And Nehemiah, simply entrusting the promises of a covenant God, saying, bring it to mind, bring it to mind. I'm bowing, I'm bending before your knee. I'm not demanding it. I'm asking you, in your covenant mercy, to remember me. Lastly, third point. Nehemiah's prayer to remember. There is a prophet at this time. Remember earlier on we talked about the fact that the prophet Malachi is around? And certainly God could have called forth another prophet if he had wanted to, to come to Nehemiah and to point his finger at Nehemiah and say, how dare you, Nehemiah? How dare you pray such prayers? I have heard your prayers offered in secret. I have seen your pride. I have seen your contempt. I have seen how you seek to elevate yourself. But you notice there is none of that. There is no condemnation of these prayers of Nehemiah. There is no prophet who comes to visit. There is no word of the Lord that is brought to Nehemiah in judgment over these things. Oh, there's a lot of people who want to shy away from them. There's a lot of people, you can find them all over, who are going, well, I don't know if anybody ought to pray this way. But you know what? The Lord never says that. The Lord never says to Nehemiah, you should not have prayed in that way, Nehemiah. The absence of that condemnation leaves to me the example of Nehemiah. An example that says to you and I today, this also is how you and I can pray. But for a whole greater and more glorious reason, right? 
Nehemiah is seeking to be faithful to the Lord. He's seeking to be faithful to the Old Testament laws. You and I can pray, remember me, O Lord. Because there was one who kept covenant. And he kept covenant perfectly. And he kept that covenant perfectly for you and for me. Not partially, not somewhat, not to make me a little righteous, not to make me partially righteous. He kept it. And you know what? That covenant God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still the covenant God. Doesn't get talked about much in our society today. He's still the covenant God. And the promises of that covenant are all yes and amen in Christ. The judgments of that covenant are all yes and amen in Christ. He is still our covenant God. Therefore, as our covenant God, in and through Jesus Christ, in and through Christ, perfect obedience, you and I, Can upon our deathbed pray. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Because you see, these are the last words of Nehemiah. We, we, we have nothing else about him. He, he's simply gone from the historical record at this point. This is the last utterance. How many years he lived after that, we have no clue. But there is something about it that when God leaves these as the last words of a faithful servant, I think there is a message for you and I. Be faithful. Keep covenant. Look to Christ. And pray. Remember me. Oh my God, for good. Because you see, we are in his hands. To who else would we turn? Who else would we want to have remember us in a covenant relationship? But our Lord, who loved us so much that he gave us his only Son. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the life, the ministry, the work, the prayers of Nehemiah. And that you, Father, have given us that truth. You've given us his life laid out before us, you've recorded his prayers. So that down through the generations, even to this day, we might remember your covenant promises, your steadfast love to us. And that in mercy, you hear our prayer in and through Jesus Christ. In his name, God's people again say,
Amen.